If uh, the, the aliens like manufactured you to be uh, a nah. mixed martial arts fighter, they're like, let's see if we could just turn. This I'm sure. Into I would, a bad it, I'm sure if it would have happened, I would have been much better than than, than this. Much know? better than this. You're the fucking champion. What are yeah, you talking but about? if I would be alien manufacturer, I would be a <laughs> Superman. You know. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious beings tuning into the podcast, I welcome you to episode 49 of Martian Mixed Martial Arts. This week, we will be analyzing and predicting all 13 fights on this weekend's UFC on ESPN card, headlined by Francis Ngannou versus Cain Velasquez. We will also be quickly recapping the UFC 234 pay-per-view that happened this past weekend towards the end of the podcast. We also might uh, discuss Bellator's card coming up this weekend, um, which is Bellator 215 and 216, excuse me, two events from Bellator this weekend, and we got odds on some of those fights. So we'll definitely mention uh, those fights after the UFC this week. But first, we will be starting things off in Phoenix, Arizona for this weekend's UFC on ESPN card. The first UFC card on the main ESPN channel. It is a monumental event for the UFC. This event takes place on a Sunday, this Sunday, February 17th. 2019 starting off at 9 p.m. This one will be on ESPN Plus and ESPN. So Cain Velasquez got the UFC started on the Fox era back in 2011 and he's getting things started in the ESPN era in 2019. Um, Funny how much has changed in the past eight years but uh, Cain Velasquez is back and uh, we're really looking forward to him uh, in this fight. It's going to be a great main event and we actually have a very very solid fight card from top to bottom for the UFC's debut on ESPN. So we are starting things off in the women's strawweight division. We have Alexandra Albu, who is 3-0, taking on Emily Whitmire, who is 3-2. The betting line for this one opened up Albu as the minus-195 favorite to Whitmire as the plus-155 underdog. Now looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, 5dimes.eu, we see Albu at minus-130, Whitmire at plus-110. So... A lot of action coming in on Emily Whitmire in this one. I'm going to agree with the line movement in it. You know, it's just that opening line was set way too high. I I do favor Alexandra Albu in this matchup, but the fact that it opened, you know, almost two to one for her is crazy. So anybody who got that early action in on Whitmire, I congratulate you. It's, uh, you know, for sure a good price. And, you know, where the price is now, it's it's more accurate. I think this is going to be a close fight. Neither of these women are too elite, uh, neither of them are too technical or polished in, in any aspect of MMA, honestly. So this is you know going to be a real close fight. It's going to be a lot of scrambles, I think, a lot of pushing up against the cage. And, uh, you know, it's going to come down to, uh, I think, the grappling exchanges, honestly. So Emily Whitmire uh, seems like she wants to keep the fights at kickboxing range. She throws a lot of jabs. And, uh, you know, she's 
I don't know. She just doesn't look very comfortable. Uh, she wants to keep things at kickboxing range, but she doesn't have particularly good kickboxing. So it's going to be difficult for her to win this fight. Uh, there is no doubt in my mind that Emily Whitmire will not be able to keep Albu off of her. When I say that, I'm, she's not going to be able to use distance and leg kicks and jabs and her striking to keep the distance. She is going to end up in the clinch in this fight, and that's why I favor Alexandra Albu. She's a, a strong girl. She is a you know, Russian uh, nationality, so you know that there could be some, some doping going on, on with her. Honestly, her fight back in 2015 or 16 this this week I watched, she was jacked, and she looked a little a little less strong in her most recent fight against Kaylin Curran in 2017, but she still is a very, very uh, strong girl. I mean, you can look at their arms, and you see Albu's got, you know, biceps, she's got triceps, she's got every, you know, clearly defined muscles, and Emily Whitmire's arms are just just, you know, kind of noodle-like. So, you know, that's not, uh, you know, a, a telltale sign of how this fight is going to go, but I really think that the strength is going to is going to be a huge factor in this fight. I think Alexander Albu is going to be, uh, or Alexandra, not Alexander, uh, was going to be pushing against the fence. She's going to be, you know, looking to get takedown. She's going to look to get, uh, you know, top position. Uh, she gets... She gets has good ground to pound, honestly. When she gets her opponent down, she she lands some some good shots, but she gets so like, uh, you know, excited that she's landing shots and and she she you know loses position. So she'll have mountain and she'll land a couple ground to pound shots and and then she'll lose the position or she'll be standing up while her opponent's on the ground and she'll land a couple shots and then she'll get swept or something like that. So look to. Uh, Look to see if uh, Albu has made any improvements. You know, uh, you know it's funny because even though this is a low-level matchup, I, I did do a lot of research on this fight, and uh, you know I think I have a pretty clear way of uh, or pretty clear thinking of how this fight's going to go down. So Whitmire is going to be trying to keep that distance. Albu is going to be trying to close it. She's going to be trying to make this fight ugly, and you know I, I just favor Albu to get that type of uh, ugly fight in one. You know she she fought against Kaylin Curran and had that type of fight where um you know she was you know it was back and forth from the feet to the floor and there were a lot of exchanges and a lot of reversals, and you know. Uh, that's that. That's the type of fight I think that this is gonna be. That's the type of fight Albu won against Curran, so I, I favor her to win this one. You know, Emily Whitmire is kind of uh, you know, she, I would say uh, she's a little less well-rounded everywhere than uh, than Al than Albu is. So uh, Albu is gonna be the pick in this one, and I would stay away from the betting window in this one though. Next fight takes place in the bantamweight division. We have Luke Sanders, who is 12 and 3, taking on Henenbrau, who is 34 and 7. The opening betting line for this one was Luke Sanders minus 140, and plus 100. Now looking over at our affiliated sports book, 5dimes.eu, we see Sanders minus 175 to Barrow at plus 155. So even more money coming in on Luke Sanders as the favorite over former champion Henenbrau and I really don't uh, blame it. I think that, you know, this fight can be summarized in one sentence, and that is Henan Barrow is done. He's, you know, he's fought better. He's He's been the more technical fighter in the past couple of, of his fights, but his physicality, his chin, his cardio, his aggressiveness is gone. It's It really is. He, uh, you know, at one point he was one of the, the, the top pound-for-pound -pound fighters in the world, and now he's, you know, one in five in his last six fights. It's, it's really, really shocking to see. 
Um, you know, it could be a combination of things. You know, the guy's had 40 fights in his career. You know, there is some USADA speculations. And then, of course, TJ Dillashaw put put the beat down on him. You know, homeboy beat up on Brow for nine rounds straight or something like that. So really hard to come uh, to recover from those beatings that he took. And he just really hasn't been the same, you know, losing to Sterling Kelleher and Andre Yule in his last fight. That guy who was making his UFC debut on short notice, who had a bad ground game, you know, and, you know, just Brow was just not ex- able to execute a game plan. It doesn't matter that Luke Sanders is has bad takedown defense and bad jujitsu, and, you know, it got submitted in his last fight. Brow cannot execute a game plan. He doesn't have the 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 mental ability nor the physical ability to to do it anymore you know he you you saw him in his last fight he rocked Andre Yu with a punch and then he sprinted at him with his hands down going crazy and he got countered and dropped you know it's like he his you know his IQ seems to be gone as well he's like I said he still is a very sharp fighter in his technique but man his physical um abilities just do not back up that technique so luke sanders in this fight is going to be looking to keep it standing and i really think that he will easily outstrike man and brow it sounds absolutely crazy to say that the fact that this lower level bantamweight is 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 uh you know a favorite to outstrike brow but it, it's gonna happen you know sanders has got you know decent boxing he's got a good body kick and uh you know he he was actually beating andre Sukmatat, uh you know in their fight but then he you know got wild and got countered and knocked out in the second round of that one but he's uh rebounded well since then he had a nice fight against patrick williams where he fought really composed really technical and won that fight over a 15 minute decision so i'm expecting him to do that same thing here uh you know he's got to avoid the ground like he did like he did not against hani yaya in his last fight when he got uh heel hooked but I think that he will have a pretty easy job uh, de- de- uh, defending the takedowns of Brow or dealing with the striking of Brow, and it'll be a nice win for Luke Sanders. So the pick is going to be Sanders, and I really hope that Henan Brow uh, retires after this fight because it's getting pretty sad to see him out there. Next fight in the women's flyweight division, or no, excuse me, women's strawweight division, we have Jessica Penne, who is 12 and 5, taking on Jody Esquibel, who is 6 and 4. The betting line for this one opened up Jessica Penne as the favorite at minus 185, uh, Esquibel at plus 145. Now looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, 5dimes.eu, we see Penne at minus 145, Esquibel at plus 125. Now, I, I'm probably butchering this girl's last name, Jody Esquibel, um, but um, you know, I know she's a, an avid listener of the Martian MMA podcast, so sorry, Jody. Um, so getting over to this fight, you know, this is, you know, if I if you thought that Alibu versus Whitmire was a low level MMA matchup, you you're in for a shocker in this one because this is this is atrocious that this fight is still is happening in the UFC. We have Jessica Penne, who is one and. Th- three in her last fight in her last four fights over the past five years she's had five or four pro fights in five years and she's one in three we got uh Esquibel who is let's see uh oh and two in the ufc and one and four in her past five fights so again these these are bottom of the barrel fighters. It's 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 a damn shame that we have to uh, you know research these fights. It's a damn shame that the UFC is promoting these fights. It's a damn shame we have to sit through and watch them on fight night because 
you know, it's nothing against these these women. They're just not UFC caliber. Jessica Penny maybe at one point was, but she's, you know, fought once a year for the past three or four years, and she's got no skill left. Esquibel is just a, a former boxer who transitioned to MMA and just never really figured it out, never really... Uh, you know, got anything going for him. Despite Escubel being a boxer, she's got terrible footwork. She leans into all of her combinations. She leaves her face right out there for people to punch her back. You know, she got her face butchered against Karolina Kovalkiewicz in that fight. That was a pretty cruel matchup. Uh, and then, you know, Jessica Penne, she's she's good on the ground. She's got, she's got herself a jiu-jitsu black belt, but she's not good at getting the fights to the ground. She doesn't have much wrestling. She doesn't... You know, she's, her striking is very sloppy. She doesn't know, you know, how to... I don't know, man. You know, I was watching her... Uh, she, she, she doesn't have a good clinch. Jessica Penny has a very good clinch. When she wraps uh, you know, wraps a girl up uh, and, and clinches her, she throws pretty wicked knees. And, um, you know, that's definitely her strongest uh, suit. And, you know, she can get the takedown from the clinch, too. So Jessica Penny is going to be trying to clinch uh, Esquibel up in this fight. She's probably not going to want to do deal with the boxing, considering uh, Esquibel will probably have the better hands in there. But Penny is going to be looking to clinch this thing up, uh, you know, land some knees against the fence, maybe get takedowns, win rounds on top. But, uh, you know, it's I watched Jessica Penny's last fight against Danielle Taylor, who is, again, one of the lowest level females on the roster. And Danielle is standing in front of her the entire time. And, and Penny just, I don't know, doesn't have the striking to win off the fight. Doesn't have, wasn't even competitive, you know. Danielle Taylor is a really low output, really predictable, really, you know, overhand right type of girl. And Penny just couldn't couldn't do anything to, to make the fight competitive. So her striking is really hopeless. Uh, I, I think that, you know, she will win, uh, Penny will win this fight just based on the clinch alone and the fact that Esquibel is just nowhere near uh, UFC level. Um, and you know, this one's going to be, uh, it's going to be a painful one to sit through ladies and gentlemen. So uh, the pick is going to be Penne and honestly where the price is for her, I, I, I mean, I, I can't put a dime on Penne cause I just can't trust them. I would never, I would have to take two showers if I lost any money on her. But, uh, you know, the price where she's at now is actually a good price. Next fight in the lightweight division, we have Scott Holtzman, who is 12-2, taking on Nick Lentz, who is 29-9-2. The betting line for this one opened up Scott Holtzman as the minus 175 favorite to Nick Lentz at plus 135. Looking over at 5dimes.u, we see Scott Holtzman minus 170 to Nick Lentz at plus 150. So, there's two way action coming in on this fight. This is this is a close matchup, but um, I'm really gonna favor uh, Scott Holtzman in this one. I think I was just so impressed by his last fight. Both of these gentlemen fought on UFC 229. Both of them picked up finishes, uh, TKO finishes for that matter too. So they really impressed on that card. But, but just there's there's difference between those wins. Nick Lentz beat up. You know, an old, slow, uh, Gray Maynard who is, you know, a sh shot fighter, brow level shot. And, you know, he looked good. He, you know, took him down, dominated, you know, dominated the better wrestle, got on top, landed some great ground and pound, uh, and then eventually finished him with a head kick and then some more ground and pound. So it was a good performance from Lentz. But, you know, Scott Holtzman beat uh, Alan Patrick, who was a guy coming in there as like a three to one favorite, a guy who was. You know, expected to win the, the striking. You know, he's got real long, uh, powerful striking, and he's got a great ground game too. And Holtzman beat him in the striking, and he 
took him down, uh, got top position, and rained some nasty ground and pound to get in the knockout. Just a vicious knockout over Alan Patrick with some elbows on the ground. So, you know, he's a, you know, a great wrestler. He's got good top pressure. And once he gets on top, it's going to be hard for you to get him off. You know, uh, you know, um, Alan Patrick could not get Holtzman off of him, so I, I, it might be difficult for Lentz to get him off him. You know, Lentz is a small lightweight. He fought a, a good portion of his career at featherweight, and now he's testing the waters at lightweight, but Holtzman is a big lightweight. I think we're going to see a big size advantage in this fight. I think Holtzman will probably have three inches on, on Lentz and maybe even uh, maybe five to ten pounds in there, too, so... Uh, you know, Holtzman's got good striking. He throws he throws a lot of power. He's not the best defensively, but I don't think he has to be too worried about too much with Lentz uh, on the feet. He's not really too, known as too much of a power power striker of his own right. Holtzman's got good kicks. He throws leg kicks. He throws body kicks. He mixes up to the head. It's usually the right kick. He doesn't really throw too many left kicks, but that right kick is, uh, you know, it's going to be a, a weapon to look out for. Might be a little bit less of a factor in this fight because it is an orthodox versus an orthodox matchup, while Holtzman's last fight was orthodox versus southpaw, and that's why that right kick was having so much success versus Patrick. So, I really expect Holtzman to you know push the pace in this one to look for takedowns, do damage on top. You know it's it's not the best uh, comparison, uh, but Nick Lentz fought Islam Makachev, was taken down, uh, you know controlled and uh, wasn't able to get up at all versus Islam Makachev. Now Makachev is one of the best grapplers on the roster, but Holtzman is is a very very elite grappler of his own right. So I don't expect. Uh, Holtzman to be as dominant as Makachev was, but I think that he will win this fight. And at the price of uh, minus 150 or something like that, where he's at right now, minus 170, I think that's a really great price on Scott Holtzman. So the pick is going to be Holtzman to get this one done. Next fight in the women's flyweight division, we have Andrea Lee, who is 9-8, and eight, taking on Ashley Evans-Smith, who is 6-3. The opening betting line for this one opened up Andrea Lee minus 215, Evan Smith at plus 165. Since then, line margins have tightened up. Uh, Lee is now minus 165, and Evan Smith at plus 145. I would uh, I would agree with the line movement in this one. I think the opening line was set a little bit too high. I think this one is actually going to be competitive. You know, we've seen... Uh, we saw Lee make her debut in her last fight against um, Macedo, and she looked really, really good in that fight. You know, not, not like... Macy Barber level good. We've seen women have better debuts than Andrea Lee did, but she still looked very solid. She showed off the fact that she's got striking, she's got takedowns, and she's got some good submissions as well. She really showcased that all in in, in that fight. But you know, she, it didn't it didn't really blow my socks off. You know, her striking defense looked a little bit suspect. You know, it it seemed like she could definitely get uh you know, boxed up by a good striker, which Evan Smith, I think, is a good striker for women's 125. Um, you know, so, and and Lee's IQ, you know, she, she throws, she goes for a lot of head and arm throws, you know, that's not very good, you know, head and arm throws are a really risky submission in MMA, and she throws, she goes for him a lot, you know, so Evan Smith, not the greatest on, on the ground, or, uh, you know, not the greatest jiu-jitsu, but she's got good takedown defense. She actually stuffed uh, four of five of Caitlin Vieira's takedown defenses in their, in their fight at 135. So that was a bigger girl at, in, Vieira, in Caitlin Vieira, and one of the one of the better wrestlers in the women's, uh, in the, all of the UFC for, for women. So 
uh, Evan Smith defending a lot of those takedowns is pretty impressive. You know, and Evan Smith is striking is is it's good. You know, uh, it, it it definitely has its holes. It seems a little bit like robotic and a little bit plodding forward, not too much movement. While you know Lee is moving around a lot more, throwing a lot more diverse attacks. While Evans is kind of just typical kickboxing. But she's got, she moves forward a lot. She's got good pressure. She's got good output, good cardio. So that's why I think this fight's going to get interesting. Uh, is on the feet. Uh, if Evan Smith is able to to stuff those takedowns of Andrea Lee, I think that this fight is going to be razor razor thin. I think that it could be you know a split decision type of fight. Uh, it really just depends on where the fight dictate or uh, you know plays out. Because uh, if the fight ends up in the clinch, man, I, I favor Lee in that one. I, she's got strong clinch. She's got real strong clinch and uh, good good knees as well. She really uh, spams some good uh, knees in that uh, in that clinch. So you know, I, I don't really know uh, Evan Smith's clinching abilities too well, but I, you know, I was impressed with how strong Lee seemed in that clinch. So. Um, if the fight gets to the floor, I really favor Lee. I honestly think that Lee could snatch up a submission. Sure, her, her sub threats looked really good in her fight against Macedo. And if the fight ends up on the floor, uh, I might even lean Evan Smith's way. So where the price is at now, uh, you know, there's been a lot of money coming in on Evan Smith all week. And, uh... You know, I I don't I, I would pass on this fight. You know, probably dog or pass. I wouldn't trust Andrea Lee at minus one sixty five. I think there's just too much unknown about her so far. But this is a you know this is a fight where two women who deserve to be in the UFC. They've got good, well rounded skills, and uh, this one should be a good fight. So looking forward to this one. And I'm gonna slightly lean Andrea Lee's way. Next fight in the Bantamweight division, we have Manny Bermudez, who is 13-0, taking on Benito Lopez, who is 9-0. The betting line for this one opened up Ban Manny Bermudez as the minus 305 favorite to Benito Lopez at plus 225. Now looking over at 5dimes.eu, we see Manny Bermudez minus 185 to Benito Lopez at plus 160. So a lot of money coming in on Benito Lopez. I think it's... You know, I think it's rightfully so. The where the line is at now seems a lot more accurate than minus three hundred for Manny Bermudez. I think Bermudez should be the favorite in this fight, but you know he certainly is not minus three hundred five level. Um, so this fight is a you know it's pretty much a, a, a grappler versus striker matchup. Uh, Benito Lopez is the the flashy striker. He throws you know good head kicks, flying knees, spinning kicks. He loves to get in brawls on the feet or just wild exchanges. You know he's had some some very very entertaining fights so far in the UFC. Benito Lopez against Albert Marais, man, that 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 fight was just crazy. You know, uh, his fight against uh, Stephen Peterson, the Contender Series, another really close fight. Um, but you know, Peterson was able to take him down in that fight. He, his Lopez's takedown does not look good at all. He when he when someone grabs a hold of him, he doesn't really fight the hands. He doesn't look to defend the takedown with wrestling. He kind of just like hits his opponent wherever he can, you know, looks for some punches and think, but that's not going to stop the takedown, not at all, and especially not against Manny Bermudez, who's going to be relentlessly looking for that takedown, uh, you know, but it's it's not, an, you know, an, uh, an end-all, be-all matchup for with the grappling, because Bermudez's his, his takedowns aren't very good, 
he uh, sometimes he leans in for takedowns at when it's too far a distance and you know Lopez could easily counter with a you know a kick or a flying knee he like I said those flying knees are legit he, he throws them fast and you know they might seem like a flashy technique but you know it's a great fucking counter to a, a double leg from distance that like ben, Manny Bermudez likes to throw a flying knee so you know I really think that this fight could be could be closer than people imagine. Bermudez it, it does have a really really good jujitsu, man. He once he if this fight goes to the ground, honestly, I think that Bermudez will get the submission. He he throws up so many submissions. He he goes armbar to triangle to omoplata to you know go, going for a leg lock and you know he's just really really active from his guard. He likes pulling guard. Uh, you know he can do it pretty well. So. Even if this fight ends up in a clinch uh, against the cage, you know, look for Manny Bermudez to jump guard in this one. And, you know, that's going to put Lopez in a world of trouble. But, you know, Manny, uh, Benito Lopez fighting out of Team Alpha Male, uh, you know, he could have, you know, easily gotten a lot, lot better in the past couple months. He, I, I think he's actually not fought in the past yeah, he hasn't fought since December of 2017, so a 15-month layoff for Benito Lopez in there. No, uh, there's no reports on whether it was an injury. It was an undisclosed injury, so we have no idea what what uh, was preventing Lopez from fighting this long. But you know, he, that's a lot of time to improve for such a, a young guy like Lopez, especially at a really good camp in. Uh, team Alpha Male, Lopez being only 24 years old, so you know his takedown de- defense could have ma- vastly improved in this one. He could his distance management could have improved, and he could make this fight. You know he could knock Bermudez out really easily. So I, I definitely don't think this fight's going to the decision. I think that it's either Bermudez by submission or Lopez by knockout. So this one's going to be a banger, really. I think this this uh, is the most likely fight of the night. Uh, on this card maybe not the closest matchup the most you know highest skill matchup but this one's going to be a really really exciting fight can't wait for this one and uh, i'm going to slightly lean uh, manny bermudez's way i think that he will uh, get benito down and get the submission at some point but not too confident of a pick and you know minus 185 i don't think i would pay, uh, pay that juice on bermudez i think there's you know his striking defense is too much of a liability and uh, he could easily get knocked out in this one so uh, i would go with uh, probably dog or pass benito lopez plus 160 and if anybody got benito over two to one uh, that's a really great price Next fight in the featherweight division, we have, or excuse me, this fight's in the bantamweight division as well. We have Jimmy Rivera, who is 22-2, taking on Aljamain Sterling, who is 16-3. The betting line for this one opened up Jimmy Rivera minus 265 to Aljamain Sterling at plus 185. Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, 5dimes.eu, we see Sterling plus 125, so, and Rivera at minus 145, so a lot of action coming in on the funk master Aljamain Sterling's uh, line in, the, in this spot. So, you know, interesting. This this is a really, really good fight. Um, you know, it's two of the top 10 guys at Bantamweight for sure. No doubt. These guys have really been in the mix for the past couple of years, and we're finally getting to see them match up. You know, both of these guys are New York, New Jersey type guys, so I'm sure they've, they've known about each other for years, and they've been anticipating this matchup for a while, and luckily we're finally getting to see it play out. Uh, it's a damn shame they didn't do one, the, this fight in, in New York or something like that because uh, these are two of the best uh, New York fighters on, on, in the history of the UFC, honestly. They're really, really 
great fighters. I'm a big fan of both of these guys. But, uh, you know, this fight's going to be, uh, you know, I really lean Jimmy Rivera's way in this one. I just, it's going to be hard for, for Aljamain Sterling to dictate this fight. He, uh, he's got really nice kicks on the feet. Um, but the, the boxing is going to be a, a big differential in this one. I think that Rivera has the much superior boxing. Uh, he's got you know good good defense as well. He's a really sound technical uh, striker on the feet. He's got good takedown defense as well. And he's only really lost to you know elite strikers. He's only got two losses in his career. One was I think his second fight um, in his career, and then one was that knockout loss to Marlon Marais uh, only a few uh, months ago, maybe nine or eight or nine months ago. He got caught with that head kick and got put away in that one. But um, you know, Aljamain's gonna be—he's gonna not let Rivera get to at distance though. He's going to be looking to, to be throwing those body kicks, throwing leg kicks to uh, keep Rivera at distance, and Rivera is going to be trying to close that distance and get into boxing range. So. If Sterling can keep this fight on the outside, like really far distance, and you know keep it at straight kicking range, it, it will be competitive because you know those ki that kicking range is not easy to negate. Rivera will have some trouble with that the, those kicks of Sterling, but Sterling really shines when he gets the fights to the floor. He's got great submissions. He's got you know really creative grappling. We saw that over. Uh, was that his last fight when when he uh, got the the submission with the the knee bar yeah i think it was against um cody stammen ufc 228 he pulled off that uh i think it's called the pull up pull -ev stretch or something like that let me see if tapology has the name on it i don't think it will um yeah it just says knee bar but yeah you just you saw in that fight the, the creativity of his grappling you know he got position on a good wrestler in cody stammen and you know he was able to just you know use his jujitsu to get to end that fight so Really impressive uh, victory uh, from Sterling in that fight, and he's gonna, you know, be, need to keep up that same momentum to, to win this fight. If Aljamain somehow gets this fight to the floor, man, I really favor Aljamain in this one. I think that he's, uh, you know, he could win rounds, on, and uh, you know, he's got good cardio. I think that this one could get really interesting really quick. But Rivera's takedown defense is good. He is not easy to take down. He's training with, you know, a really, really good camp out of Tiger Shulman's. They got Julio Arce. They got Shane Burgos, Lyman Good, Mike Trezano. A lot of guys, uh, you know, going on really good streaks in the UFC right now. So I slightly lean Rivera's way because I think that he has the striking edge in this one. And I think he, I'm relying on his takedown defense for, to be good. But, you know, where the initial line was, I think that uh, there was value on Sterling, you know, plus 180 in that range. But where the line's at now, minus 140, minus 150, I think that Jimmy Rivera's got value on him now. So uh, Rivera's really good at winning decisions. He's good at fighting safe. And I think that he will uh, do that in this fight and will uh, win a decision. So the pick is going to be Jimmy Rivera and uh, really expecting a good fight. Would not be mad at all if Sterling pulled off the upset. Next fight in the featherweight division, we have Andre Feely, who is 18 and 6, taking on Miles Jury, who is 17 and 3. The betting line for this one opened up Miles Jury, minus 195 favorite to Feely at plus 155. Looking over at 5dimes.eu, we currently are seeing Andre Feely as the plus 130 underdog to Miles Jury at minus 150. So, uh, action coming in on Andre feeling in this one, tightening the line margins up. I agree with it. I think the uh, the opening line was set a bit too high at Miles Jury, almost two to one. Um, 
but you know again another tremendous matchup in the in this these uh UFC on ESPN card. The, the UFC really brought the heat for this first fight um, card on ESPN. So Andre Feely is, uh, you know, he's a great scrappy fighter. He he, all of his fights, you know, are contested on the ground and on the feet. He he's got good uh, striking, uh, good kicks, and he he's got the ability to mix it up with the takedown to go for submissions, go get some top position. But uh, it's going to be hard for him to take down Miles Jury in this one. Miles Jury's got really good takedown defense. He's got great jujitsu too. So if you know if you take him down, he there's you're likely to get swept. You're likely to be put in threat of a submission, or, or you know get reversed. Um, you know Miles Jury ha- has done that in a lot of his fights, just reverse takedowns with a quick sweep and uh, got the fight right back to the feet. So. You know, and Jury's striking looks pretty good. You know, despite the fact he got knocked out in his last fight against Chad Mendez, uh, you know, he, his striking is very good. You know, that, that was kind of a, you know, a, a low power level shot he got caught with. So, you know, Fury or Jury. Jury's chin is a little bit suspect, but um, you know, his, and that his boxing defense too, obviously, is just not that great because that punch did get through on Mendez, but. Uh, Feely is not the same fighter that Mendez is. He doesn't carry near the uh, the power, and he does not have the boxing skill that Mendez does. Also, doesn't have the threat of the takedown um, that I'm pretty sure faked Jury out. Uh, you know, Mendez faked the takedown and then came high with the the left hook, and it floored uh, Jury, eventually getting the finish in that one. I don't think Feely has that type of uh, that type of power or those type of setups. He's just not that type of fighter. He's he, he likes to keep it at you know uh, kicking range. And then uh, every now and then, you know, mix it up, go for a takedown. But I don't think he will be looking for a takedown in this one. I think that, uh, you know, Jury might be the one looking for takedowns. If Jury fights offensively with his wrestling and gets top position, I think he will win this fight fairly easily, honestly. I th- I just think his, his position... Uh, you know, he, he gets position on you, doesn't really care about submissions too much. He, he wants to just, you know, win rounds, tire you out, and, uh, you know... Just, you know, that position, man, I'm telling you, he gets top position and he just won't let you out. I don't think Feely will, uh, will be able to sweep or uh, get out of that that uh, bottom position in this fight if this ends up on the floor. So Feely is going to be one of keeping this on the feet. It's, it'll be competitive on the feet, you know. They'll be they'll be trading kicks and, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the striking is just very, very even in this fight. So you know where the opening line was i'd say the the value was on feely but again in this in this spot right now jury minus 150 i think that's a good price for feely so or excuse me for jury so um the pig's gonna be miles jury i think that uh he will get this fight to the floor he will dictate uh you know the the rounds on the floor and he will win a decision uh probably probably three rounds to nothing honestly so the pick is gonna be jury Next fight in the welterweight division, we have Brian Barberina, who is 14-5, taking on Vincente Luque, who is 14-6-1. The betting line for this one opened up Vincente Luque as the favorite at minus 385 to Barberina at plus 265. Looking over at 5dimes.e, we see Luque at minus 400 and Barberina at plus 325. So even more money coming in. On Vicente Luque in this spot, uh, despite him, you know, opening up as almost a four to one favorite, 
Uh, I don't I don't agree with it. You know, I think it's just a little too wide right now. I think Lucas should be the favorite, maybe somewhere in the range of minus 200, minus 250, 300 at the most. But Barbarina has, you know, come through as an underdog multiple times. The guy has been constantly underrated by the books, and he comes through as that dog uh, a few times. You know, he, uh, let's see, against Warley Alves, he was a huge dog. He won that fight. Sage Northcote was a big dog. Uh, Joe Ellenberger was a big dog. He won that fight. And, uh, you know, he's just constantly plus 250 against Chad LaPriest. That was a real competitive fight. Um, plus 235 against Covington. You know, he lost that fight pretty decisively. And Barbarina, again, a close fight with Leon Edwards in that plus 250 range. So he's constantly, uh, you know, plus 250 or something like that against a guy who, you know, really doesn't deserve to be minus three or 400. But, uh, you know, Luke is a, is a great fighter, man. Not, not taking anything away from Luke. He's got extremely powerful striking. His overhand right is one of the best uh, punches in the sport, honestly. He's also got a killer left hook. You know, he's got power in both hands. He sets it up with leg kicks. He tortures your legs. He, you know, attacks that calf and, uh, you know, gets you thinking about that leg kick and then lights you up with punches. Usually getting the knockout or the submission. He, uh, he's got really good submissions as well. If he hurts you on the floor, he won't waste his time going for ground and pound. He'll snatch up a sub. Just like he got that uh, that Darce choke, um, and uh, who the hell was he fighting? I was just watching this fight. Let me see. Vicente Luque got the Darce choke on Nico Price. Yeah, Nico Price, a, you know, a very powerful striker of his own right, and uh, was undefeated coming in that fight. And then Vicente Luque handed him his first loss after he hurt him on the feet with a punch, and then was able to cinch up that choke. Uh, very nicely done by Vicente Luque, but you know Barbarina does well against you know strikers. He's he's fought guys like you know Warley Alves, like Chad Priest, like Leon Edwards, all guys who uh, you know were uh, I think favored to beat him, and he you know he he did really well against them, winning one of those fights and then having competitive decisions in the other two. So. I, you know, I think some people are picking Barbarina based on the fact that he does perform well as an underdog. Uh, you know, I wouldn't bet on him strictly on that fact alone. I think that it's just, you know, it's a winnable matchup. Luque doesn't have, you know, uh, impeccable boxing defense. He's definitely certainly hittable. And Barbarina's got some power. He's got good boxing. Uh, he's hard to take down. So, you know, if, you know, he could very well make this fight interesting on the feet, stuff some takedowns, and then, you know, take over this fight in the later rounds if, you know, Luke a maybe gasses himself out trying to finish. So, uh, you know, where the price is at now, I'd say the value is on Barbarina, but the pick, uh, I think Luke a will get this one done. If he fights composed and, you know, goes for a decision win via striking, I think that he'll win this fight easily. But if he gets wild, chases that finish, and gets into a dogfight with Barbarina, that's when he gets really close. So the pick is going to be Luke, but I would stay away from uh, the bet laying the chalk on him in this one, and uh, it's going to be a dogger pass uh, in the betting window. Next fight in the featherweight division we have alex caceres who is 14 and 11 taking on crone gracie who is 4 and 0 the betting line for this one opened up crone gracie has the minus 285 favorite to caceres at plus 205 now looking over at five dimes eu people betting down crone all the way to minus 335 caceres up to plus 275 so 
interesting. Crone Gracie making his UFC debut at the you know the green record of four and zero, and he's already minus three thirty five against Alex Caceres. You know, a proven guy in the UFC, nine to nine in the UFC. So he's got four times as many, more than four times as many fights in the UFC alone as Crone does MMA, MMA fights in general. So, you know, Crone Gracie is one of the. He has just become one of the best grapplers on the roster. He's, you know, a, a Nogi champion, world champion. He's been, you know, he's son of Hicks and the only son of Hicks and Gracie, of course, coming from the, the legendary Gracie lineage. The uh, Some of the best fighters that ever ever walked the planet, Hoist Gracie, Hicks and Gracie. And, uh, you know, Crone is now in the spotlight as being, you know, that, that Gracie, you know, they have Neiman Gracie over in Bellator who's doing good things right now. But Crone in the UFC, it has, you know, a huge spotlight on him right now. And uh, finally making his, uh, his UFC debut after, you know, getting a little bit of experience over in Japan and Ryzen. He picked up some good wins over there. He he definitely was not fighting, you know, super easy competition. He was fighting, you know, fighters on the 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 tailing end of their career, and you know, uh, Hideo Takoro and uh, Tetsuya Kawajiri. You know, uh, both of those guys had over fifty fights. They're you know way older in their late thirties. Uh, you know, guys who are just Japanese MMA legends. But you know, nevertheless, they, those guys can still grapple. They're you know tremendous grapple, lifelong grapplers. And uh, Chrome was able to uh, choke all, both of them out. So all four of his wins coming by the way of submissions so far. He, uh, you know, obviously he's looking to take this fight to the floor. He doesn't really wrestle too much. He likes pulling guard. He likes clinching up, you know, maybe landing a few punches in the clinch and then jumping guard real quick. Um, you know, there's no shame in pulling guard. He's just, you know, it's a really effective way to get the fight to the floor without, you know, risking the risking a takedown, you know, using all the energy of a takedown, trying to get in scrambles, you know, just clinch up and jump guard real quick. And Gracie does it really good. Uh, he, you know, he doesn't seem too comfortable striking at range. You know, he doesn't, he looks, you know, pretty bad striking at range. He doesn't have much head movement and he doesn't have much striking of his own right. He's got, you know, some decent straight punches, you know, trained with the Diaz brothers. I'm sure Richard Perez out in California, but he's, you know, there's not, there's really not much use in him. You know, you'd like to see him get, you know, competent on the feet, but it's just not something that happens too often when someone is an elite talent in one discipline of MMA they usually just win their fights based on that way and they never adapt the other aspects of their uh, their their game to um, to be equivalent to their uh, their strong suit if that if you understand what I'm saying so he has tremendous grappling not not very good striking um, but uh, he's fighting uh, you know one of the I wouldn't say a lower level opponent because Caceres definitely has very great skills, but uh, one of the low, the lower end of competition in the in the UFC right now. Caceres, his his fight IQ would probably be his worst enemy. He just doesn't make good good decisions in the cage. He he fights pretty recklessly. He gets taken down a lot. Does not have good takedown defense. Does not have much power on the feet. Um, He's got he's got good submission defense. So if he gets taken down, uh, you know he he defended against Kyo Hun Kang's takedowns very well. You know who is you know one of the best grapplers in the UFC right now as well uh, is Kang. We saw that this past weekend in his fight against Ishihara, uh, and 
you know, Caceres did well de defending the, the, the grappling of that fight and ended up going on to win that fight uh, back in 2013. So that's a really that's a really bright spot on Caceres' record, especially being a similar type of matchup. But, uh, you know, Gracie is just on a different level than Kang. So he, I don't, I really don't expect Caceres to defend the takedowns or defend the submission attempts of Gracie very well. So Caceres wants to keep this fight at range. He wants to keep it on the feet. He does not want to clench up with Gracie where he can pull guard. He doesn't want to get caught against the fence where Gracie can shoot a takedown. Even though we not we have not seen Crone uh, have much wrestling success in MMA so far, he certainly has takedowns. The guy's a Nogi World Champion. You know those fights go to the floor a lot too, and he definitely has you know gr good takedown abilities if needed. So um, this fight's going to be very very interesting. It's going to be you know a chess match of if Gracie can get this fight to the floor. If he does, I, I think he will get the submission. At, if he doesn't, I think he'll lose this fight. Uh, you know probably not by knockout just because Caceres is doesn't have much power. Hour, but he will get outstruck very decisively if he does not get this fight to the floor but i think he will i don't think that caceres will be able to stuff takedowns to prevent this fight from going to the floor in all three rounds all 15 minutes i think at some point gracie gets him down and gets him out of there so the pick is going to be gracie but where the money line is currently at there's no fucking way i would pay money on Crone Gracie making his debut at minus 335. The value is clearly on Alex Caceres. He can certainly, you know, he can win this fight either by, by TKO or by decision. While I think Gracie's only way of winning this fight is by uh, by uh, submission. I don't think he, I don't think, you know, he could win a decision if Caceres uh, defends all the submissions and Gr Gracie's just on top the entire fight, winning the rounds on top. But I, I really don't see that happening. I see uh, Gracie locking up the submission if this fight gets to the floor, and uh, should be a good one. Next fight in the women's strawweight division, we have Cynthia Calvillo, who is seven and one, taking on Courtney Casey versus. Uh, who is eight and six? The betting line for this one opened up. Courtney, or excuse me, Cynthia Calvillo as the minus two eighty five favorite to Courtney Casey at plus two oh five. Since then, even more money coming in on Cynthia Calvillo, pushing her to minus three hundred, while Casey is up to plus two fifty. Um, you know, this I guess I would agree with the line movement in this one. Not much movement has come in, but. It's definitely come in a little bit on Calvillo's way. She's, you know, just a clear favorite in this matchup. She's looks really good in her last fight against Bothello. She's got some. Uh, she picked up some good submission wins in her in her UFC career so far. She was able to, you know, uh, win the decision against Joanne Calderwood, a great grappler and striker of her own right. And now she's going against Casey, who, uh, who who's, you know, I would I would say has, you know. Not had too great of a career in the UFC so far. She's had a lot of close fights. She's picked up a few nice wins, but you know she's come up short in a lot of her in a lot of her fights as well. You know she's lost five decisions in the UFC. Um, you know so not she's not a, a terrible fighter. She just you know has trouble um, putting it all together in there and uh, you know winning uh, winning the fights decisively. Um, she's she's got. She, she's very awkward on the feet, you know, she, her footwork is not very good, she, she's very like, you know, 
robotic and her feet don't follow along very well with her she overextends herself and she's she's heavy on her feet it seems like she's got like ankle weights tied down to her legs she's not she's not moving around she's not like looking to sprawl she, she will have to fight differently in this fight or she will lose easily cynthia calvillo is going to be looking for that takedown She's, uh, you know, one of the best female grapplers in the UFC right now. She's got great top control. Once she takes you down, it's going to be hard for you to get up. She's got good submissions. You know, we saw that in her last fight against uh, Bothello, submitting a great grappler of her own right. She submitted Pearl Gonzalez. She's submitted a lot of girls in the UFC. Uh, so, you know, look out for, for those submissions of Calvillo. That's definitely going to be, like, the, the biggest threat in this fight. You know, I, I just don't see how Casey wins this fight. Maybe by uh, some type of fluke armbar of her own. She's got a decent armbar. You know, she, she, she when Casey is in guard on her back, she can throw up an armbar and threaten with it. She did that a few times against Michelle Watterson. Michelle Watterson, one of the smaller uh, 115-pound women on the roster, was able to take Casey down easily. She, you know, not really known for her wrestling either. And she was able to level change on Casey pretty successfully. I think she shot three times and was able to get the takedown twice. Casey showed a decent sprawl once at the time, but that was in the third round when she had already been losing the fight. And, uh, you know, even though when she's on her back, though, she like I said, she can throw up an armbar. That's definitely her, her, her best submission. And, you know, that's the only, the real only chance I see Cal, uh, Casey having at winning this fight. There's no way that she's going to be able to keep Calvillo at distance for the whole 15 minutes. There's no way she's going to be able to stun her on the feet with some, some strikes. It's just a really hard matchup for Cynthia or for uh, Casey to win in this one. So the pick is going to be Calvillo to take her down and, and uh, probably get the submission on Casey in this one. So uh, the pick is going to be Calvillo and you know look for some sub props inside the distance props on Calvillo. Now we are at the co-main event of the evening in the lightweight division. We have Paul Felder who is fifteen and four taking on James Vick who is. 13 and 2. The betting line for this one opened up. James Vick as the minus, oh, excuse me. Paul Felder as the minus 175 favorite. James Vick at plus 135. Right now, looking over at 5dimes.eu, the line has since flipped. Francis, or excuse me, uh, James Vick at minus 125. Paul Felder at plus 105. So, interesting line movement this one. You know, the line flipped. Uh, for the longest time, Paul Felder was still the favorite. Vic was, you know, up to plus 130, 150. I think he got, you know, pretty high at some point. Um, let's see where the highest he got is. Looking over, looking at the line movement on five, or, uh, best fight odds. Yeah, he got plus 135 is about the highest he got. But, you know, very interesting. You know, the past couple of days, a lot of money has come in on James Vic. This is a tough, tough fight to call, honestly. Um, I'm honestly a big fan of Paul Felder, not the biggest fan of James Vic. You know, um, you know, Paul Felder is a Philadelphia guy. He's got, you know, uh, great fights. He throws, all of his fights are really exciting. He throws wicked elbows. Um, you know, his fights are usually bloody, exciting, uh, entertaining fights. You know, Vic, Vic's fights are usually good too. He's got exciting fights. He definitely doesn't, you know, fight boring. It's just, you know, if you're, you know, a diehard MMA fan, you know that there's just something dislikable about James Vic. He looks really weird. He... You know, is uh, he had that last fight where he was super confident in himself and got knocked out like viciously, um, and then uh, there's some, uh, some um, 
some news about him, you know, his trainer, you know, having some uh, some rape charges or something like that. And James Vick is uh, staying with his trainer, you know, through thick and thin. So he gets a lot of criticism for that too. But so it makes this fight a little bit difficult to to, to predict, honestly, because. Uh, like I said, I'm a fan of Felder, not the biggest fan of Vic, but I, I honestly like James Vic up until a couple months ago, and then it just switched real quick. Uh, he's got, uh, you know, James Vic's got a nice jab. He's got uh, good kicks as well. He, he and, and good cardio. You know, he he's gone the full three rounds a few times uh, against Trinaldo, most notably. It was a pretty high output type of fight, and he won that fight um, based on you know uh, output and just landing the cleaner, harder shots throughout the fight. I just I think Vic's you know his footwork isn't very good. He he doesn't seem very he doesn't really seem the, too comfortable on the feet. Even though he's like I said he's got good boxing. He's got a few knockouts and with the hands, he just you know his 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 defense sucks. You know you saw that in his last fight against James or excuse me against Justin Gaethje. He's got that tall man's defense where he just likes to lean away. He's a six foot three lightweight where he likes to lean away from punches and he got caught with a huge overhand. By uh, by Gaethje in that fight and it put him to sleep. I'm not talking a knock a TKO knockout where he's you know conscious and you know getting you know sh some shots on him and the f the the ref stops the fight. I'm talking out cold for minutes, you know, not knowing what the hell happened for five minutes after the fight. It, it was bad, really really vicious knockout f from James Vick in that fight. So, you know, hopefully he's recovered well since then. Hopefully he's uh, I'm sure he has. That fight was all the way back in I think August, so he should be better by now. Paul Felder did not have a last an, an easy fight last fight either. He he got cut. He got cut with a, a headbutt. He got cut with punches. He got he broke his hand in that fight. He took a, a lot of big shots from Mike Perry. He moved up in weight uh, on short notice and took a fight against Mike Perry on one of the biggest cards of the year. So uh, you know he he was supposed to. Uh, I think he was, I forget who he was supposed to fight, but I think it was actually Vic, and then he got pulled out of that fight. But, uh, you know, Felder, you know, both of these guys not having easy fights their last fights. Uh, so I hope they're at 100% in this fight. I'm sure they are. You know, Felder, uh, in his fight against Oliveira recently, he, he was he was taken down and, you know, almost put to sleep by Oliveira, but somehow defended all of Oliveira's submissions. It looked like he had him in a deep Darce choke. But uh, Felder somehow escaped. And from then that point on, he was not scared of Oliveira's jiu-jitsu at all. The guy with the most submissions in UFC history and Felder, was engaging with him on the ground and was just sitting in his guard just raining down ground and pound throwing elbows slicing him up and then he eventually viciously finished uh Oliveira with some elbows in that fight just man you, you watch that fight I forgot how how vicious those elbows were you know he lands one hard elbow and you see Oliveira tap out the ref doesn't see it and Felder lands four more flush elbows that he's not defending one bit so pretty sick knockout honestly so you know Vic does have good submissions he's gotten a few submissions in the UFC he's got good jiu-jitsu but man after the fact that Oliveira couldn't submit Felder I really don't see Vic submitting him at all either this fight's a really hard fight to call because Vic is long. He's got that that jab and those those long kicks to uh, keep this fight at range. But you know, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of questions with Vic. You know, he had a tough, tough weight cut his last fight. He allegedly cuts from like 190 pounds to 155 pounds in a few weeks' time. So, you know, that could always affect the cardio. That could always affect the chin. You know, that that might have been what happened in his last fight against Gaethje when he got knocked out. So. 
He doesn't really check leg kicks that well either, Jails James Vick, and Felder loves throwing leg kicks, so look for Felder to be throwing those leg kicks from the jump, looking to slow down Vick's movement, and then, uh, you know, maybe Felder even, you know, he doesn't really have much wrestling, but, you know, Felder, his elbows are so good, and his ground and pound is so good, you know, you might see him try to take this fight to the floor, you know, it might give Vick a false sense of security, thinking he's going to go for some submissions, and then he's going to get pounded out by Felder on the ground, so... You know, I favor Felder in this fight. I, I just think that he's, uh, you know, I don't know. I think he's the more uh, opportunistic striker. I think he's got more weapons on the feed. He's got, I think he's got the better kicks, the harder kicks. Uh, and I think he, uh, you know, I think he's going to win this fight. So the, uh, the pick is going to be Felder. I think he gets it done by decision. You know, it's a close fight, though. It really is. It's I, I, I have no bet on the fight so far. It's going to be more of like a live betting type of fight. But, uh, you know, really looking forward to this one. Hell of a matchup. And in the main event of the evening, in the heavyweight division, we have Cain Velasquez, who is 14-2, taking on Francis Ngannou, who is 12-3. The betting line for this one opened up. Cain Velasquez is the favorite at minus 170. Francis Ngannou at plus 130. Looking over at 5dimes.eu right now, we see Cain Velasquez at minus 160, while Ngannou is at plus 140. So, uh... You know, initially a lot of money came in on Velasquez, but it seems to be creeping back up towards Ngannou now. Uh, where the line is at now, I'd say, is pretty accurate. You know, we we have uh, one of the best heavyweights of all time in Cain Velasquez taking on one of the the the, the best new age heavyweights. Uh, in Ngano, you know, both of these guys have uh, their their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, you know, Cain Velasquez, he's got you know incredible cardio, incredible pace and pressure. He'll he'll put the pace on you he does that has done that to almost every one of his opponents he's, he'll take you down he'll smash you on the ground he's got good boxing when he's on the feet he's got hard leg kicks while he's on the feet he's fast he's got good footwork he, i'm telling you he has a little bit of everything he uh you know he's truly is one of the best heavyweights of all time it's a damn shame that his injury his career has been so uh, plagued with injuries and he's had so much time uh, off you know you know, this is his first fight since July of 2016. He's only had, you know, two fights in the past, I think, five or six years. So we really have missed out on Cain Velasquez, pretty much the prime of his career, really, we missed out on because of his injuries, his knee injuries, you know, shoulder injuries. He's had, he's had a plethora of problems that have kept him away from fighting. But he's back for this fight. You know, I'm sure he's going to be in great shape. He's going to be looking to get back in there. He's looking to, you know... Uh, take out Ngannou and get his way back up to a title shot but uh, Ngannou you know looked tremendous in his last fight you know we, we thought Ngannou was done we saw him against uh, we saw him lose to Miocic he got taken down in that fight and beat you know maybe five rounds to nothing really got humbled in that fight the fact that he was not a world beater he could not wrestle at all he had bad cardio he's got bad takedown defense he's got no jujitsu that was all exposed in that fight and all those doubts were still in his mind when he fought Derek Lewis a few months later Derek Lewis fight one of the most infamous fights in UFC history just a boring staring matchup where Ngannou did nothing he was totally gun shy barely threw any punches and then lost that fight everyone thought that Francis Ngannou was done you know that he was you know uh, emasculated by that performance by Stipe Miocic and he'd never be the same and he was fighting a, a, a tough wrestler in Curtis Blades who's got great takedowns great top pressure great ground and pound everyone thought Curtis Blades would smoke Ngannou he was a two to one favorite in that fight but what what happened Ngannou comes out and knocks him out in 30 seconds with a huge overhand right 
reminding us that Ngannou is still one of the most vicious punchers. He's got insane power. He's got great boxing. And he's still a very, very dangerous fighter. You know, uh, so this fight, you know, Kane is going to be looking to, to put him on the floor. You know, Kane, you know, being two and a half years away from the sport, he's not going to have the same uh, reflexes and the same striking ability as he's used to. You know, back when he was active in 2012, uh, 11 and 12 and 13, he could engage with dangerous strikers on the feet like um uh, Junior Dos Santos or Antonio Silva because he he was so confident in himself and he was so active. But when now when he's fighting three times in six years or something like that, his timing, his entries, none of that is going to be uh you know too precise. So he's got to be he's got to be careful about that. If he tries fighting like he did against Travis Brown back in 2016, he, there's a great chance that he gets clipped by a punch and knocked the fuck out by Francis Ngannou because Kane Kane was sloppy in that fight. You know he was he he. He was winning the stand-up exchanges on the feet against Brown, but Brown is a, you know, a sloppy striker at best. He's, you know, he had a few nice wins in the UFC, but his career is, you know, vastly overrated. He went to Edmund Edmund Tavardi and pretty much got worse. And you know, Kane was able to rock him with punches in that fight, and you know, put him away uh, via TKO in the first round. But he, Kane is not going to want to fool around in stand-up exchanges at all, man. I would expect him to be super, super cautious, and then look to you know, look not look to throw first at all. Look to for Ngannou to, to throw first, and then counter that strike with a takedown. You know, close the distance. Look to clinch this fight up. Uh, dirty box on the inside, and then eventually get this fight to the floor. Get top position. Maybe pound Ngannou out or go for a submission. So, um, it's it's an interesting fight, you know, because the the time off from from Kane is a huge huge factor. That could easily be the his Achilles heel in this fight. The fact that he's not used to fighting, his timing is off, his entries are off, and he gets clipped by Ngannou and put to sleep. That that is a certainly realistic possibility of happening. Or he could come out there like a world beater. He could be on point. He could have, you know, all those things, like I said, his cardio, his wrestling, his ground and pound, his pressure, his leg kicks, his speed, everything could be on point. And he could be back as one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. You know, it honestly comes down to, you know, uh, I just think of who I trust more. Who, who has the, who do I trust more to execute their game plan? Is it a guy who is you know, has ha- caught a few, uh, you know, solid punches and put some good guys out, or is it one of the most notorious best heavyweights of all time? And I'm going to side with Kane in this one, you know, I just think that he, you know, he's hungry, he's back for a reason, he's not coming back for easy fights, he's not coming back to, you know, to retire on a high note on a win, he's coming back to get that fucking belt, and the first step to, to get that belt back is to run through Ngannou, so I think that he will, uh, you know, close the distance, be able to get Ngannou to the floor, and I think that Cain Velasquez will win this fight probably by TKO in the first or second round, maybe by submission as well. But I'm um, really looking forward to this one. You know, if but Cain, man, I'm telling you, if he tries to be cute, tries to you know have a couple stand-up exchanges on the feet with Ngannou, man, you got you better be you better be real careful because Ngannou has got sneaky good striking. He's got you know insane power as we all know, and he could blast you into the fucking shadow realm. So. Great main event. 
great card from top to bottom. It's got some some really fucking close matchups. You know, some some matchups that are you know you could go either way with that. I've been flipping back and forth with with all week. You know, Feely and Jury, Rivera and Sterling, Bermudez, Lopez. I'm telling you, almost all these fights are are, are toss ups. There are only a few. I think like you know Gracie, like Luque, uh, like that deserved you know big uh, favorite money. But the rest, man, close matchups. Expecting some really good fights and uh, like I said man the UFC really brought it for the for their first card on ESPN looking forward to the fights going down this Sunday night 9 p.m. start time to the main card uh, hope you all enjoyed this f- uh, fight card and uh, you know it's going to be a treat to see this the UFC on ESPN so uh, with that being said we are going to quickly recap the UFC 234 uh, main, actually, before that, let's talk about Bellator. We got Bellator odds this weekend. We got, um, let's see, the a uh, few fights I recognize. Roy Nelson, plus 175 underdog to uh, Mirko Krokrop as a minus 225 favorite. Yeah, man, Krokrop's on that that good dope. You know, he's juiced to the fucking gills. You know, you can see this dude's 40-something years old, and he's got bigger muscles than ever. So, you know, he's juiced to the tits. We just saw Roy Nelson get knocked out by uh, Sergey Karatonov in his last fight. He his boxing looked pretty slow in that fight. If Nelson's able to get the fight to the floor, I think that you know he'll win. But honestly, uh, I think that uh, Mirko is gonna he's got he's gonna have that power. He's gonna be quick in there. He's gonna be juiced up, and I think that he's gonna win this fight on the feet. And the pick's gonna be uh, Mirko in that fight. We got Czech Congo taking on Vitaly Minikov, Minikov, the former Bellator heavyweight champion, finally coming back for his first fight in I think like three or four years, taking on Czech Congo in this one. I, I really see uh, Minikov winning this fight easily. He's you know he's great on the ground. He's a great striker. He's you know there's a reason why he was the champion uh, back uh, in the. Uh, Back in 2014, 15, you know, as long as his ring rust is not too bad, uh, you know, he's definitely got a winnable opponent in him, in front of him in Czech Congo. You know, Congo just took out Tim Johnson, though, you know, so he looked pretty good in that fight, you know, so it's not, it's not end-all, be-all. And, you know, plus 365, you know, even though I'm going to pick Vitaly Minikov to win this fight, the value is on Congo, plus 365. The main event, we got Michael Venom Page taking on Paul Daly in a much-awaited matchup. This fight's been talked about for years. Two of the best uh, British strikers in MMA right now, and they're finally meeting up. And uh, the odds, man, Page minus 220, Daly plus 180. Value is all over Paul Daly in this one. Michael Venom Page has fought nobody good. He's been fed easy, easy opponents for his, for his entire career. You know, he's been padded record. He's got, you know... You know, really average performances there. He's you know he's going up and going, showing some flashy striking and beating up some bums. While Paul Daly has been fighting at the the highest level welterweights for a decade now. You know, Nick Diaz, uh, James or John Fitch. Uh, he just knocked out Lorenz Larkin not that long ago. Um, so you know, Paul. You know, Paul Daly. I think has value all over him. I think he's the better striker. I think that Michael Venom Page is just one big hype job, and I think that's going to be really exposed in this fight. And Paul Daly at my plus one eighty. I hope I don't end up with too much money on that line because I will be betting Daly in that spot. And the one line we have for Bellator two fifteen, we have Matt Mitrione versus Sergey Karatonov. Man, wicked close fight. Two really good boxers. Both of these guys have you know really good heavyweight boxing. 
Karatanov looked sharp in his last fight. His jab was on point. He was butchering Roy Nelson with that jab, and eventually finished him with a barrage of punches. His uppercuts looked powerful. Everything, man. Matt Mitrione is a great striker of his own right, though. You know, he's he uh, was able to uh, outstrike. Um, who was that in his in his uh, most recent fight? Um, Roy Nelson. He he beat Roy Nelson uh, two rounds to one. He was taken down in that fight and lost round three, but was able to secure rounds one and two. Um, you know, he got knocked out by Bader. He knocked out Fedor. You know, so he's got some power in his hands as well too. So that one should be really really close fight. Caratano is up there in age. I think that Mitrione will be the faster striker in there. And I think that, honestly, Matt, Matt Mitrion will probably win this fight just based on his speed. And, uh, you know, he will be the better striker. So, uh, Bellator's got great fights going down this weekend. Four heavyweight fights. Or, no, excuse me, three heavyweight fights and one welterweight fight. Those are going to be real, real exciting. And then uh, the, the UFC 234 recap, real quick. We, uh, we, we analyzed all 13 of these or 12 of these fights last week. But the, uh, the main event, Robert Whitaker versus Kelvin Gaston, was canceled on uh, the same day notice, just a brutal, brutal punch to the gut uh, for all fight fans in that one. Um, but we still had a pretty great card come through. Jonathan Martinez defeated Waligi Baran, looked really good in that fight. Uh, won the striking, won the, uh, the grappling, honestly, as well. And Baran looked pretty underwhelming. Callum Potter got knocked out cold by Jalen Turner. Uh, you know, he was able to get a takedown, but was not able to uh, secure a submission, and Turner knocked him out quickly after that one. Kyun Hyo Kang and Turuji Ishihara threw the fuck down. Uh, Kang eventually getting that uh, the submission via rear naked choke puts Ishihara to sleep after, you know, a pretty exciting slugfest in the feet. Uh, we had Kaikar France defeat uh, Holion Paiva. Paiva, man, making his UFC debut, really impressed, was a huge underdog plus 250 or something like that and looked pretty sharp in there a lot of people actually picked him to win that fight but the aussie getting the the nod on the scorecard the hometown guy another really competitive fight was shane young versus austin arnett shane young got the decision but man arnett this is as close of a fight as can be for it for being 30 27 austin arnett was winning the first two rounds of this fight both rounds up up until like the four minute and 30 second mark his jab was on point his straight punches were really nice he was busting shane young up but shane young was closing the round strong and throwing bombs in the last 30 seconds and really rocked Arnett at the end of the first two rounds and pretty much stole the rounds on the scorecards and then was able to win round three uh, just based on the fact that he was a fresher fighter, I believe. Um, and But, you know, so Austin Arnett performed good. His jab looked good, but Shane Young was just, you know, uh, the more, uh, just chased the finish more. It was, uh, you know, more aggressive with his punches and landed the harder shots throughout the fight. So that's what got him the nod in that one. Devontae Smith scored a beautiful knockout over Dong Hyun uh, Ma. Uh, Jimmy Crute knocked out Sam Alvey with a really nice, uh, you know, overhand right. Floored Sam Alvey. Not, uh, you know, pretty questionable stoppage in that one. Um, you know, Sam Alvey really protested the stoppage. The stoppage was bad. It was bad timing from Mark Goddard. The second the crew landed the punch and Sam Alvey was on his hands and knees, you know, crawling around the octagon, I think that the fight should have been stopped. I don't think that – and then the fact that, that uh, you know, Goddard went – when it go on for a few more seconds and then stopped it, it was definitely a bad call from Goddard. Um, regardless, Kroot looked pretty great, you know, huge overhand right, his striking looked pretty bad on tape, but it looked pretty good tonight, or the, that night, excuse me, 
Montana De La Rosa just dominated Nadia Kasim, taking her down and eventually getting the arm bar in the second round of that fight. Ricky Simone and Hani Yaya, a real competitive fight. Simone was able to stuff all of Yanni Yaya's shots and, uh, you know, win that win that fight um you know yaya was making it competitive it was competitive on the feet you know simone was getting tagged by yaya but ultimately simone landing the harder shots dictating the pace of the fight and just being the more active fresher fighter getting him the decision landa venata ran through marcos mariano getting the submission on him you know just a laughable fight like we all expected landa venata took him down mariano has no idea what jiu-jitsu is and eventually got submitted and in the main event, we had Israel Adesanya defeat Anderson Silva two rounds to one in the decision. You know, I wasn't really a fan of this fight. You know, it was it was a little stoic. It was a little like you know cool to see these two uh, legendary guys go uh, strike for strike with one another. But you know, Israel didn't. Neither of these guys were chased. You know, the finish. Neither of them were too aggressive. Israel was content to you know. You know, land the uh, land uh, uh, a few shots here, a few shots there, and win the rounds. Anderson showed really little tenacity the entire fight. He threw, landed a couple counter punches and was able to steal round two, but he just didn't show much will to win. It didn't look like he wanted to win two rounds. It didn't look like he wanted to knock Silva or Israel out. It looked like he just wanted to go out there and you know have a sparring match, and that's really what this was. It was you know a, a hard sparring match. So. It was it really you know uh, was underwhelming, especially with the main event falling through on one day notice, you know, and we ended up getting a got we got like a staring match when these guys were like you know taunting one another and you know doing all types of showboating and while while the fight was underwhelming, you know, so not a fan of the, the fight at all. Israel calling for a title shot, it's got to be fucking delusional. Um, there's no way he's getting a title shot. You know, Anderson Silva calling for fights with Nick Diaz, fucking delusional. He beat him four years ago. Nick Diaz hasn't fought since. He's a welterweight, and Silva is trying to get him another fight. Like, what, what type of shit is that, man? Anderson Silva, man, I don't want to see him fight anymore. He's had his time. He's one of the greatest ever, but th there's no, there's, who the hell cares? Who wants to see him fight anymore? You know, he, like I said, you know, there's a he like he didn't want to go in there to win. If he's not fighting to win, what the fuck is he fighting for? He's fighting for money and for you know just exposure. He like sure he loves the sport and whatever, but uh, man, you're you're gonna put him in there against a guy who's gonna knock him out one of these times, and then you're gonna you're gonna realize the mistake he went. If Israel would have went 100% on him, then he could have floored Silva easily, but he didn't. He was tentative. He was you know you know too respectful of Silva. You know, the fight was just, you know, frustrating, honestly. A frustrating main event. So, um, that's my thoughts on that card. Uh, you know, we recapped uh, the entire uh, UFC 234 event. You know, all 11 of those fights. We talked about a few of the Bellator fights going down this weekend. And we analyzed and predicted all 13 of the UFC on ESPN 1 fights going down this Sunday night. The props are not out yet. We've been waiting on them for a long time. So, hopefully those drop soon. Hopefully we we able to get some more uh some more cash on these lines and uh, hopefully we're able to make some make some coin on Sunday night. So I uh, hope the betting odds are in your or the betting gods are in your favor for this one. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. I want to th uh, give a thank you to my affiliated sportsbook Five Dimes Eu and ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious beings tuning into the podcast. I thank you for listening to episode forty nine of Martian Mixed Martial Arts, and I will see you guys next week. Peace. Thank you.